Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This week, sorry, I'm skipping the pleasantries. I don't know. My voice is still croaky, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, and I'm really sorry, guys. There's a little bit of coughing um, in this episode. I really tried to stifle it. So hopefully it doesn't detract from our guest this week. Mm. So we had a guest. We had Cyrus from the amazing company that is Fill and Needle, um, a manufacturing fashion brand. Um, based in Los Angeles and Mim Cyrus was great Mm, yeah he was so insightful and just had so much like knowledge insight about the industry opinions about what's going on Um, and just you can tell he's like a real fashion head you know like a man who worked in the industry during the 90s the early 2000s started his business in like the 2010s and just has like decades of knowledge and always a good response to our questions. Yeah, always had a great response. But also still seems very much like in love with the industry mm. and the fact that it's ever, ever changing. And we discuss a lot of that in this episode that, you know, it's it's con- constantly changing and a few theories on like what might be the future of fashion and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was... He was great. And also, I think he said one of the best quotes of all time. Oh, he did. I'm sure it will be the quote of this episode. Um, so, yeah. I hope you guys enjoy. It was a real pleasure. We interrupt this broadcast to remind you follow us on instagram starlover substance pod shoot us an email starlover substance peak at gmail.com find us on youtube find us on twitter we've got all the links on our instagram you know what to do Hey Cyrus, thanks again so much for joining us. Um, you started talking about it there, but could you kind of talk to us about how you came about Fill and Needle and and why you wanted to create Fill and Needle? Uh, wonderful. Yes. Uh, hello, and uh, thank you for having me on. Thank you for well, coming. Uh, sure. I uh, uh, created Fill and Needle in uh, two thousand. Uh, at the end of 2014, so we basically opened our doors uh, by uh, 2015. And uh, we've been uh, manufacturing. It's kind of like a one-stop uh, one, one shop. 
So uh, individuals or designers or brands come here with an idea in head. Uh, sometimes a sketch, sometimes just an idea, sometimes the samples they bought from outside and they want to do adjustments to it. Mm-hmm. And they come and they tell us, okay, this is what we want to do. And from that, we take it over. We start creating a sample for them by doing the patterns, by doing the adjustments, uh, you know, a couple of fittings here and there uh, till they're satisfied by with the art outcome. And uh, once they have that, they decide, you know, quantities of production, uh, grading, you know, um, what kind of sizing they want to do. And uh, we take care of their production as well. So that's been the, uh, you know, what we have be done in, in fill and needle here. This, is, this was kind of a new idea back then in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Los Angeles people were going to different places to do all these, all these aspects. So I would say uh, we and a couple of other companies like us started this, this concept. Um, the first I heard was like in 2013. So it's a new concept in city of Los Angeles. In Europe, I'm, uh, I'm aware these kind of businesses existed for a long time. But in Los Angeles, kind of a, you know, a new idea in the last decade. Mm-hmm. So prior to starting Fill a Needle, what drew you into starting it? Because you were previously working in the fashion industry already. Is that correct? Sure. I mean, uh, you know, I graduated from Paris, France. So wow. once I uh, I finished ESMO, it was in the 90s. And uh, from there, I moved to, uh, you know, I worked in Paris for a little while. I moved to East Coast, US, uh, New York, Boston. And uh, uh, I was there for around two years or so. And uh, I moved to Los Angeles in early 2000. Um and I've been then since. So I've been in the industry in the city for uh, over 20 years now. Wow. Uh, and all together, if you want to talk all my entire uh, lifespans of fashion industry, I'm, I'm getting close to 30 years. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> we can't retire. It's not the army. We're going to keep going for a couple <laughs> of months. <laughs> decade. <laughs> oh, amazing. And so was it a, was it a gap in the market? Was it something that you realized that you needed that didn't yet exist? Because like mm-hmm. you said, there's like, there's a few places like that in London, but they're few and far between. So when those places that exist are really special that you can be in the city and get your samples made and things like that. It's quite an artisan thing for it to be in, in a city. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's uh, well, yes, I saw the gap. You're completely right. I saw, you know, people were going so many different places. And, uh, you know, my own position before this, where I was, you know, the jobs I had prior uh, to this thing, I was uh, uh, the, the technical director. So uh, for a couple of companies before coming to, you know, starting my own business. So I was, uh, you know, uh, managing the entire development and production of the brands I was working for. So um, I knew that was, you know, that was the need in the in the industry. And I realized, you know, the amount of money people pay to just go from point A to point B mm-hmm. and, you know, check on things, it, it's a lot. And Los Angeles is a very, very big city. So it's not like you can go to one neighborhood and go to, from building A to building B to building C and see everything. Mm-hmm. So each round you have to jump in your car, go to different locations. And uh, they industry here was in mainly in downtown Los Angeles, which is moving now a little bit farther from downtown in different areas. 
So you really need a car to go to all these places, check everything. And parking is really expensive too. <laughs> <laughs> we hear so, about bad LA traffic. So yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I, I thought, you know, if we do this, it would be a lot easier for people to just come to one place mm-hmm. and we manage the rest of it for them. And it worked. It's kind of like, and a lot of people really appreciate that. And they don't go through the, the headache of, uh, of going to all these different places. What people are usually surprised is our price is not really more expensive than if you are going individually to each of these uh, sections. Mm. So, for example, what we charge for to sow a sample is not really more than if you are going directly to a, a sample maker. Mm-hmm. Or if it's the price for a patent, we are almost the same price than if you're going to outside finding a freelance patent maker. So the difference is like they save time and money to deal with us as one location. Yeah. And, you know, uh, the other part is also is anything, you know, coming out as not people not being satisfied is under our management. So they don't need to go to say, hey, the final product is not exactly what I wanted. And having like four different people being involved and each of them pointing at each other. You know, mm-hmm. you can say the sample maker was not right. You can say the production manager was not right. You can say that the sewing production was not right. You can say the pattern from the beginning was not right. And each of them always saying it was the other guy's fault. Yeah. In this situation, we are all the same guy. So they don't need to deal with the whole idea of like, you know, having to uh, argue about the quality. They're usually very happy with what we do. We, we don't, we didn't really have them, you know, complain about quality of things that is something is not exactly what they want so we can always you know rectify that so yeah. those are the pluses to go to you know in a location like ours yeah and because you're based in LA and I I've never been to LA but you know everything you hear about LA it's incredibly creative place um and I imagine the way that your business is set up you have a lot of younger maybe younger brands or people starting out and is this like your company and what you have to offer like perfectly suited to those who you know are strapped for funds and we talk a lot about on this podcast that making a successful brand can be incredibly expensive even those who are at the top of their game you know have stores all around the world can still go bankrupt it's it's quite a an expensive venture to have your own fashion brand so what you offer does it is it like perfect for those who are particularly younger and starting out? And is that your main kind of client base or do you have others? Well, uh, that's a great question, honestly. It's like really uh, on the time. Uh, what was in the beginning, what we did start in the beginning, where uh, companies, brands, established brands were coming to us. As uh, time goes by, we're getting more and more younger people coming the startup people coming and starting their the line and i would say in the last uh, three years or so it happened before covid well covid also helped it a lot mm-hmm. i'm getting a lot of young younger people uh 20s i have like one of a very successful clients right now she started with me when she was turning 20 like a month before she turned 20 wow. and right now she's over a million dollar company uh, so y- you get a lot of youngsters coming. They don't, and also a lot of them don't know much about fashion. 
Yeah. It's not like the background is fashion. It's not like they, they went to fashion school or anything like that. Absolutely not. They just come with concepts. They come yeah. with ideas. And they said, this is what I want to do. And, uh, you know, uh, so we have to really sit down and understand what their needs are. And from that, create what they want. Uh, what we were doing before, I would say before three years ago, we had all kind of like minimums because, you know, that's what's required in, in the industry. So you had to be able to produce X units to make sense, to be in the, in the ballpark of the market and be able to have a, a set, you know, wholesale price and try to make a little bit of profit. So therefore, you had to produce 100 units, 150 units, 200 units, depending, you know, what kind of garment we're talking about. Today, people make small units, but they said directly to the consumer. Mm-hmm. What I might mean by that, so the entire stores, uh, representation, trade shows, all these things are, uh, you know, uh, crossed over. So they don't have none of those fees. So mm-hmm. they make their garments and go, they go directly online uh, via Instagram or, you know, influencers or however they find their own means. And uh, they said directly. So their cost of goods, they can pay more for it because the profit is really there. And uh, so we decided to cater to them and uh, take off the entire minimums. We don't Mm -hmm. cover minimums anymore. We don't talk minimums. I say, you know what, for example, you want to make this uh, pair of pants? Fine. If you want to make a dozen units, so you're going to be paying almost double the price than if you are making 100 units. But let's say, because they're selling directly to the store, to the consumer, they still make good good amount of money. They still can triple, quadruple their uh, their investment. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's that's completely okay with them. Uh, and you know, they they need to uh, they 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 don't mind doing so. And that's what's working. And we're getting more and more clients like that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's definitely a world that. I we've seen taking off as the kind of the small businesses that can do it via Instagram or just a website and yeah you don't have any of the store costs anything like that but also that sounds like a really exciting opportunity so I'm someone who's done the full slog of a fashion design degree but um it's an exciting thing that some people a can't afford to do degrees and all of that stuff but that someone just could have like a creative mind and doesn't then need the technical pattern making knowledge. And that's something that you could offer as a really exciting opportunity that opens the possibility of fashion, I think, to more people. So that sounds like a really exciting kind of collaboration all around for you Mm -hmm. to kind of educate people, but also then have more like refreshing ideas from someone who's not clouded by like the rigidity of pattern making and what's possible. I completely agree with you. And the other part, I really understood another reason I opened this business because I realized in the last 20 years, once everything started going to China, Mm. people were not, you know, pattern makers, designers, all these people, they were not really trying to create the garment anymore. Everything was done by making a tech pack Mm, and dictating what they want. So I realized, okay, so if they can communicate this to overseas, to people who don't even speak the language, so we can do this here. 
directly here, it would be a lot faster and a better communication. That was the original concept. And that's how I went through the companies. But now as we're growing through everything and the COVID happened, we see is a lot more, uh, you know, smaller people, startups coming. You know, like years ago, the startups were like uh, kids coming out of fashion school who had some money. They mm-hmm. wanted to, you know, start their own line, start up going working. So we had few people like that. But today is completely different. Mm-hmm. Today is like you have a little bit of that, but you have a lot of creative people, as you as you say, which they have ideas. They uh, they want to do graphics on their tees or their hoodies. That's usually the first idea. Yeah, that's usually the first first idea. I want to make tees. a graphic on my hoodies <laughs> or graphic tees. So yeah. they come and they talk about that. They look around. And after that, they go to come back with different ideas. So now they 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 want to do real clothing. Mm. And the other thing I have been seeing the last uh, three years is a lot of uh, redoing the garment. You know, they go buy used garment from the army, from, uh, you know, leftover denims uh, or, uh, you know, uh, the end of roles from different designers, different places. Mm-hmm. And they come and they want to redo those, those things. And to tell you the truth, three years ago, I was like, I don't have time for this. This is too <laughs> much, you know, too yeah. much headache. What is this <laughs> thing you're talking about? But, uh, you know, we kind of like started looking into it and we saw, okay, it's an opportunity there. And uh, we start doing it. Yeah. And it's it's really getting a good chunk of our business is redoing garments. Mm-hmm. And that's really, you know, uh, what is the trend is today. Everyone, the, the new generation is really concentrating on recycling. So that is, that's a big part. You touched on a point a few minutes ago um, and you spoke about China. And I, when we reached out to you and I saw that you were based in LA, I thought, that sounds expensive. <laughs> and do you think right now there's a genuine hunger to be buying US made garments and things that are made and produced and designed in their country as opposed to, do you think people are getting tired of buying things made in China, for example? Do you think people are really keen to support you know, their homegrown talent? I, I usually believe it's always a percentage of people who are doing that mm-hmm. uh yes i would say percentage of people is correct what you're saying completely that but the the law of the the market is always the price mm-hmm. you know uh and uh, i see you know the imports from uh from china or other countries over there mainly china is getting super expensive but still you have to look at it what quality of fabric you know uh, garments we're talking mm-hmm. you know if if you still you want to pay uh, lower price garments, it's still cheaper to buy from there. So when you're going, you know, in high qualities and uh, I'm sorry, high quantities, it's still a lot less expensive to purchase from overseas. But when you're looking at you know smaller brands, uh, we are competing. We are competing and competing well because uh, you know the transportation, everything is uh, is quite yeah. expensive to to do it over there so therefore we are competing here but we're having it uh, another problem i mean it's not a problem because it's fair but the price of uh, manufacturing in los angeles has increased in the last five years 
The minimum wage started at uh, ten dollars and twenty-five cents. Today's fifteen dollars. So therefore, okay. the price of manufacturing also increased by fifty uh, percent. Yeah. Because you know the the that's really the situation. So in the other hand, you have this competition, and you have the the price of the import, which is a lot more expensive. So you have different companies looking different places. Mm-hmm. Uh, for our situation in California, we are in, we are in the border of Mexico. So you have brands who are I'm seeing they're looking to produce over there in Mexico. Yeah, I so wanted to ask you also. Is, sorry, um, yeah, I wanted to ask you about the idea of sustainability because you're you're quite a small manufacturer, and how does that play a role in? you working with your design partners and manufacturing goods and what's your view on the bigger topic within the fashion industry of sustainability um the the fashion sustainability right now i mean we are all trying mm. we you know things started first by uh, organic cotton after that it was like the swimsuits which they were basically uh, recycled fabric. Mm. Now, uh, you know, you have a bunch of people creating, uh, getting, uh, buying old clothes and chopping them apart mm. and redoing them. I have people who go and basically buy leftover denim by pounds and like they buy like 200 pounds of denim and they bring them here. So we chop them apart. And after that, we remake another pants or jacket or uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. I have another brand who goes and buys things by uh, postal services. You know, the bags from postal services mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, other things which they were selling in the in the armies. So all these things still around. They go, they buy those again per pounds and they bring it and we remake garments out of those. You have people who buy uh, sweatshirts, sweatpants, all kind of like joggers and do the same thing. So you have a lot of things which people restarting to do. They go and they find like leftover, whatever. I found another company, another lady came here actually not long ago. And this is a new thing we're trying to do is quilt. You know, the left, you know, the quilts from... Back in the day, like in the baby's quilts and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. So they're buying those and they're trying to really find a lot of the place. And uh, so they use that for the portion of the garment. And that's what they're doing. So anything which was possible from before, scarves, another one is scarves. Mm-hmm. Getting, you know, anything which was you can't find in flea market or anything else, they do it, they bring it. And uh, now we have to, you know, reach up it and re-put it together is it easy no yeah is it time consuming hell yes <laughs> it's very very time consuming and is the price right no it's super expensive mm. but it's a new idea is the ide- ideology people don't want it you know go spend on new stuff to be created so they want to use the use things and recycle them um who am I to criticize it or <laughs> go for it? But it's a, it's a new thing in the market and yeah. enjoying it. So how much of those who kind of approach you and say they want to work with you and create collections, 
how many of those do you think are like keen in doing the recycled fabrics thing or is it kind of like the small minority would you say um every like right now i would say the the young generation coming here i would say three quarter of them want to do that Mm -hmm. do they all do it no once they realize the amount of uh, work and money about it they change their idea (laughs) half of those people stick with it half of them you know change portion of it and also people have to understand you can do that you can mix and match it what i suggest to people today is like you know what let's take some stuff from uh, recycled goods and let's take a little bit of things from new things and merge them together it can work and you know it's not the garment is 100% recycled let's say it's 40% 60% 70% still better than zero mm-hmm. and uh, and you know we can have a better quality to do that way because sometimes for one some portions of the garment which has to be durable uh it's very difficult to use old clothes because they rip apart so these are suggestions to to have and real you know deep conversation about every little detail of the garment and decide what what part is best to have it you know recycled what part is best to have it brand new and uh you know, that's the decisions they have to make because yeah. they want to be true to their consumers. So they don't want to say, you know, is this and that, but it's really something to to look into and educate the, the consumer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's such a good point. I think so many people um, think that now if you create a brand, it has to be sustainable and it's yeah. like this buzz, this buzzword, but actually to be fully sustainable is, is a really difficult thing. But also, like you said, it's really expensive and we're kind of not there yet with it being more affordable and it's a difficult thing. And actually, like you said, just having a percentage of a garment as being recycled or whatever is a is an effort. Like every little bit helps. And I think you're right that you don't just want to buy a garment just because it's recycled, but it's going to fall apart like your clothes exactly your your clothes have to still fit a purpose and like yeah you don't want there to be a hole in it under the armpit or whatever or in like the first week (laughs) um I think that's such a good point and other than like the sustainability buzzword of the fashion kind of industries being moving towards what else have you noticed that is happening recently like in the fashion industry Mm. that kind of is grabbing either old designers or new designers' attentions? What have you noticed going on? That's a very, very big question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, not uh, an easy question. <laughs> no, not an easy question. I mean, those are all, always been the trends in the yeah. industry. So each each one sees differently. Uh, always, you know, the whole idea of retro is there. Always the whole idea of reconstruction. Mm. Right now, yeah. people doing reconstructed garments all the time. Uh, I what I see really is like the functionality of the garment, you know, and the exchange of sexes. You know, mm. I would say uh, through the last century, even to 2010, uh, women were wearing garments which they wanted to be free and uh, look a little bit more masculine. But uh, I think that trend is gone. So the tailored jacket, things like that, is less and less uh, out there. 
people are wearing a lot of unisex things. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of people coming and asking for unisex garments. Um, I always explain grading of those and sizing those things are not correct. Uh, it's not incorrect. It's not law about it. But is, is someone, a woman who size uh, medium is more or less like a guy who size extra small. Mm-hmm, so yeah. that's those are the measurements of the industry. So if you want to do such a thing, you need to always educate your consumers. Mm, so that's true. what I trend I see, you know, uh, in that in that matter, how things going. Now you see a lot of. Uh, uh, basically, I think the whole sexism is is out of the window. And uh, so garments are becoming that way. The way the way they're 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 conversing is that way. It's very a lot more comfortable. It's mm-hmm. no more structure. Um, so why is that? It could be two things, because it's actually to produce is less expensive. So if you want to produce in fast pace, if you want to produce it not overseas but in the Western society which the price of uh, workers are a lot more expensive. So the time to be able to put in a sewing way, to put a garment together when the garment is loose, not, you know, structured. So it's less than an hour uh, is by minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 50 minutes. But when you go to constructed things, you're talking like, you know, two hours, three hours, four hours or more. So those are the uh, differences we'll see and i think because of the quality of application we have out there too so it's a lot more flexible it's a lot more uh, uh the spandex idea kind of helped everything people can just wear whatever and be comfortable mm-hmm. uh, so those are the changes i see but the other part right now the biggest challenge i i see between the younger generation the old ones that freedom the old want that uh, spandex inside of their garment <laughs> the old are against the elastic because that's uh, you know is bad for environment yeah so that's uh, that's a conversation to have like you know <laughs> which yeah. one do we which one do we want to do uh, and that's going to be it, made worse right by the pandemic when we've all been in elasticated clothing for exactly, goodness knows how long <laughs> like i would say in the last uh, f- um Two months. I got yeah. this three times this conversation. People coming, they want a pair of pants. They don't want a zipper. They just want to be able to pull it up. And yeah. after that, they say, no, I don't want to put elastic over there because uh, elastic is bad for environment. And I'm like, so how do you want that garment to hang around <laughs> your hip? You know, like it has to hold on the waist uh, and it has to be bigger to go over your hip. So like this, you can wear it. So mm-hmm. they all say, you know, can we put a string over there? Just pull it. Yeah, you can. But the lifetime of the pants going to be reduced from two years to two months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, those are the challenges. These are the differences of the, the time. I'm, I hope somebody can find a way. Yeah. yeah. Someone needs to invent an eco-friendly elastic. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I'm Scarlett and I. That idea. <laughs> you should. <laughs> Scarlett and I spoke a lot about during like lockdowns and whatnot. We said we envisioned what our wardrobe would like would look like once we were free in the world, and we said that we would dress more glamorous. We said that we would <laughs> dress more colorful. You know, make more of an effort. 
Um, do you think this trend of being quite casual is going to continue for like, let's say in the next 10 years, do you think we're going to continue doing things like that? Or do you see designers now really coming up with other ideas or is there a trend or something that you think in the near future is going to be big within design? Um, again, you're asking a very big question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm going to elaborate in a different way. I would say designers always followed the uh, the art in the in in the human life. So you know, before uh, before this whole idea of uh, social media, you had establishment, you had the editors, you had magazines, mm-hmm. you had fashion houses, you had. Uh, other place you had trade shows which had to approve uh, a new designer before they can go and showcase their work today all these things are <laughs> basically gone mm-hmm. uh, so therefore uh, and that's not only in our industry it's kind of the same the same thing in the movie industry the same thing in the music industry uh, so all depend like you know who is the next uh, icon in other aspects of the uh, the art which comes out and what kind of garments they want to be wearing, how they're going to, you know, showcase themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's coming, and it's been coming the last uh, decade or so from bottom up. So it's coming from bottom up. Uh, bottom up is usually casual. Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, glamorous. Glamorous was the high society who yeah. basically was trying to dictate, okay, this is how, what we do and everybody else is solving. So all depends where is it coming from? And are we going to get tired of the casual wear? Uh, certainly, I am personally tired of it. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's, it's finding that glamour in the casual wear, I would say. Like, who is the designer who's going to come up with that idea of, you know, it's glamorous, but it's super comfy. So that's really, that's, that would be the biggest challenge to, to come up next. Uh, but to go back to what was glamorous before, all the dresses, jackets, shoulders, uh, it would be difficult mm-hmm. to go back to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's difficult because like, like Mim said, that was like our fantasy. And like, even though we're making our way out of this pandemic, touch wood, and that's that's still not what I'm reaching for like day to day I'm still like comfy and I'm like oh yeah like I could wear that but I could wear something more comfortable and like I think it's that thing of we're just not used to it so you're right there needs to be kind of almost like an in-between of having a bit more of a glamour for just comfortable clothing Um, and maybe that's our gateway back into full glam <laughs> uh you know and you look at it met gala like this year it was quite interesting the way yeah. everything was was quite quite interesting but you know those are those are the ways you're going to see what's going to happen in the future and yeah. you can see even big big designers they are uh, relaxing mm. they're not putting all that effort like from before i wonder what's going to happen to haute couture or uh, you know mm-hmm. things like that
Yeah, I think it's really interesting what you said about the Met Gala. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, there's going to be a second part to that theme anyway. But um, the, I feel like red carpets almost don't have that same um that same importance that they used to I don't I think that might be social media that we just we get so much fashion we are inspired now not only by celebrities but influencers or just like a stylish girl we've somehow found online Mm -hmm. and I feel like red carpets almost just don't hold that kind of like oh my god I want to be them it's not exclusive is it in that sense and also I think we can now look up to people who maybe are slightly more attainable. And I'm a huge lover of Oakature. Like that's the reason I fell in love with fashion. And I hope that there's always a place for it selfishly, but it feels less and less relevant sometimes, which is such a shame. Do you kind of see that? I know you mentioned, you don't know what happened to Oakature. How do you sort of see that? I see that. uh, And I see that in other industry too. I see that okay. in the movie industry, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah, uh, because I'm very close to that by you know my uh, my wife who's in the movie industry and everything, and I sit in the, those kind of meetings all the time. Uh, even the movies right now is a lot more uh, TV shows than the movies. Mm, it's yeah. a lot more in, uh, you know instant that. streaming service rather than exactly. cinema. Exactly. So all this uh, thing like trying to put uh, how can I say all this focus in one thing. And would be like, you know, the haute couture or, you know, those kind of like red carpets uh, is kind of like is is cooling down. It's mm-hmm. a lot more smaller things coming up. Influencers are are important today. They're big parts of what's going on. Uh, are they qualified? Um, it's, uh, <laughs> you can argue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because they, uh, you know, before an editor had to work really, yeah. get the job. Uh, have a decade of doing things and after that get the stamp of approval of some magazine to say okay so and so is 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 good enough to to be writing this article today whoever who has some kind of followers you know can be doing that uh are they qualified not by our industry but uh that's what the society is today i always say i don't fight the nature (laughs) yeah but that's really what it is. Uh, yeah. I, I, you, we don't know because, you know, before you had to go through the steps to be where you were. And after that, you would dictate everything. And that was that was reducing the chance of a lot of newcomers. If you were not liked by the first couple of people, if you didn't, ha- if you didn't know the right people, if you didn't have the right amount of money to go spend right places, you couldn't get to the game. Mm-hmm. Uh Today, all these things are gone. That's the beauty of it. Mm. In the other hand, before you had people who were established, who had some knowledge, who put a stamp of approval under what you were doing. Today, you don't have that neither. So it's kind of like a uh, open field. You know, it, it doesn't mean the best is going to be the winner. It's uh, it's just <laughs> we're all running. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you have designers who approach you and fill a needle and say? I have a vision to make something that isn't everyday wear. I want to try and obviously not a couture, but evening wear or something that's more conceptual, that's a bit more grander. Do you 
do you ever have designers or brand owners approach you and have that sort of vision? Um, we have a couple of clients like that. But, you know, again, this is Los Angeles. Yeah. We're not really, you know, Los Angeles is not the brands for uh, evening wear. Uh, Los Angeles is more uh, artsy or casual. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's those two. Uh, before, I would say like in early 2000 here, it was only denim and, uh, and T-shirts and joggers and hoodies and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, things had changed. And uh, now Los Angeles is a very is a big major city in the planet. It's a big base. Uh, is really what uh, is the first stop between east and west. You know, uh, everything going from uh, Asia to here or from here to Asia is so just the first place. It's no no longer like New York, which was important because it was the first spot to go to Europe and come back. So mm. today, with the rise of Asia, okay. Uh, Science is a big, big uh, powerhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, therefore, you know, the art, uh, the entire art scene has changed in the last 20 years. Today, you know, we see this in every aspect of art between painters and, you know, fashion houses and other things. You even have like, you know, uh, designers coming here and staying and just being inspired. So, yeah, it's, it's a complete different scene. But do I have really big you know those kind of like evening dresses i wouldn't say so i would say more like cocktail dresses i mm, have those yeah. kind of clients coming and doing it uh there you know i would say still like if you want to go for those kind of like big evening dresses the people the, the few brands who are based in la they do them overseas they don't mm. really do them here yet mm-hmm. and that's the part you know uh it's just becoming expensive and we don't have uh, I, I would say we don't have that uh, uh, hand needles in in LA. Like mm. uh, having people who are really uh, being able to do the hand stitches the way it requires for an evening dress. Mm-hmm. You know, decorative hand stitches. I would say we don't. I, I don't know that you know much people who be able to do that. Yeah. But you know, yeah, sewing something by hand, like a hand by hand or things like that. Yes, that's that we have that. But what what we know, like in Europe, which is like really decorative hand stitches, or what's going on in India or China regarding that, mm-hmm. it, we don't really have that in LA. Yeah. yeah. So we kind of stop at the cocktail dresses. We do have, you know, a couple of clients who do super expensive fabrications from europe they buy them they bring them here we do dresses like that but it's not like with uh, with inside work bonings and things like that we do mm-hmm. a couple of bustiers here and there mm-hmm. i have like you know uh denim bustiers oh god doing that like crazy <laughs> <laughs> i can imagine that definitely <laughs> yeah uh, but you know those kind of yeah yeah um, Scarlett, I'm thinking that we should do a few of our quick fire questions as well. Okay, cool. Um, let me. We at the end of um, our guest interviews, we like to shoot a few quick fire questions and get a sense of your either or oh, preferences. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what is what is your favorite item to manufacture? Uh, I love jackets. Yeah, but I do the least amount. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's too hot in LA. <laughs> I, I don't know. 
that's yeah. that's not what the people are looking for. I, I I love jackets. I love to wear jackets. I love to make jackets, but uh, mm-hmm. it's the item which they being requested the least. Okay, that's interesting. Besides fill a needle, what's your favorite brand and design aesthetic that you appreciate the most? Uh, my life story, I would say, I always was a huge fan of Jean Paul Gaultier. Mm-hmm. He is, uh, he, I think, what's going on today is what he did in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was 20, 30 years ahead of himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was. <laughs> Oh, yeah, he was master of that. He <laughs> was master of that. I mean, he still is. Mm-hmm. Sorry to say was. Was and is uh, mm-hmm. master of that. Yes. Amazing. That would be number one. Um, and um, what what are you most excited about um, for um, what's coming up next for Fuller Needle? Um, the excitement is in the, the youngsters. I'm, I, feel, I feel youthful again. To be honest, because uh, you know, like uh, now, in a daily basis, I hang out with like twenty-year-old kids, and uh, it's it's very interesting to see the way they look at life, the way they look at the society, the way things are moving. Um, I I enjoy my my job because I see different kind of people all the time, uh, you know, and it's a huge range of uh, individuals coming here. Uh, uh, and they have nothing to do with each other, but it's, it's very lovely to sit down and talk to these people and see what their vision is and what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And, it, and oh, it changes every six months to nine months. <laughs> it really changes. It's like a wave of people coming for the exact same idea, mm-hmm. but they have nothing to do with each other, but they're asking the same question. They want the same thing. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Out of the list of different services that fill and needle provide what's your favorite stage of the manufacturing process uh creating the the sample mm-hmm. once with once the first time the garment comes out once the first concept idea is actually been showcased you know somebody showed up with the with an idea in their head and now we basically made that idea to garment and here it is presented to them their faces their face is, is beautiful. Oh, that's great. I love that. <laughs> and um, following a similar vein, what, what was it that made you fall in love with fashion and still enjoy working in fashion? Uh, I would say I don't know. Um, I learned how to tie my tie before I learned how to tie my shoes. Well, as a kid. that's a good sense. That's a good line. <laughs> that needs to go on a T-shirt. <laughs> ah, I love it. <laughs> that's fantastic. Oh, I love that. It's a childhood thing, you know. I think yeah. I think this kind of jobs is kind of like what you fall in love as a child. Mm-hmm. And yeah. nobody, like, you know, your parents influence you. It's not like, you know, uh, my mom and dad both were, you know, uh, you know, were dressed up nicely. They were aware of, like, you know, uh, grooming and everything. So, but they never told me, hey, this is what you need to be doing. We mm-hmm. never had that conversation. When I told them the first time, they're both, like, very quiet. <laughs> <laughs> amazing well thank you so much for joining us on our podcast and it was lovely to meet you and just hear about your experience what you're doing and your view on like all aspects of the industry thank you so much i appreciate to uh, you know give me the opportunity i enjoyed this conversation thank yeah. you
thank you so much yeah have a have a great rest of your day and yeah this was a really a really enjoyable chat So that was our interview with Cyrus from Phil and Needle. We really hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did chatting and recording it with him. Um, let us know what you thought about it, your thoughts, our questions, his responses. Um, and yeah, big thank you to the man himself who agreed to kind of sit down with us and have a chat a transatlantic chat about fashion and haute couture and you know the iconic designers that he has an appreciation for so thank you so much for attending and thanks to all you guys for listening to our episode um let us know what other types of interviews you'd like us to conduct we're always Mm. open for ideas um remember to um fill out our poll we always like to have a, a poll going each week. And um, what should it be this week? Oh, yeah. Uh, I feel like maybe on the topic of, you know, we talked about recycled clothing. Mm-hmm. Like, would you, like, does a garment have to be 100% recycled or, you know, mm-hmm. be kind of like in the vein of that, maybe? Um, yeah. Are you a diehard net zero fashion consumer? Mm-hmm. Something to that effect. How much does it influence your purchases? Yeah. Um, Something like that. Mm -hmm. We'll see what we put out. Who knows? (laughs) We don't even know yet. It's a Um, thrill. (laughs) Thanks again, guys. I've been them. And I've been Crooky Scarlet. Ciao, Bellas. Bye. Bye. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,